After the bloody fighting on July 2nd, the Union fishhook still stood. Small unit actions at their flanks and along Cemetery Ridge had failed to budge the Union line. As fighting opened again on the morning of July 3rd, nothing would fold the flanks of the Union position. So Confederate leadership made a decision to make an attack at the center of the Union positions at Cemetery Ridge. Pickett's charge would become one of the most infamous actions of the Battle of Gettysburg. This frontal assault on Union lines would be portrayed as a desperate and dramatic action and a turning point which would help propel the Union Army to victory. But in reality, frontal attacks of this nature were a very common period tactic and had been successful elsewhere in the war. General Lee knew that the Union Army had suffered tremendous casualties and that elsewhere on the battlefield, his troops had been successful in breaking the Union line and causing retreat. He stationed reinforcements behind his attacking positions and massed Confederate artillery to support the attack and silence Union guns along the ridgeline. With these preparations made, success was likely. At this critical moment in history, General George Meade became one of the first Union Army leaders to correctly anticipate Lee's plan. He knew Lee would attack this position, using the rolling terrain to his front to mask his troops' advance. General Meade utilized the terrain to his advantage and set up a defensive line along the ridge. He used the rolling slope to his rear to mask his reserves. When Confederate preparatory fires commenced, it initiated a duel between Union and Confederate cannons, which created the largest artillery barrage in the history of the Western Hemisphere. On this position, on the Confederate gun line, stood the Washington Artillery, a militia formation raised in the 1830s in New Orleans. The men were made up of New Orleans elite, and they served under a red banner emblazoned with a tiger and the motto, Try Us. The unit raised five batteries, and some served in the Western Theater, but by the time the Washington Artillery was here at Gettysburg, they were veterans of battles such as Bull Run, Antietam, and Fredericksburg. Today, the Louisiana National Guard's 141st Field Artillery draws their lineage from the Washington Artillery. And their distinctive unit insignia is a scarlet red field with a tiger and the motto, Try Us. From their positions nearly a mile away, they engaged the Union lines, but with limited effect. Union troops utilized the train features around them to shield their reserves and work that terrain to their advantage. In the center of the Union line were men from the state of Pennsylvania, defending their home ground. The Philadelphia Brigade, made up of the 69th, 72nd, 71st, and 106th Pennsylvania, raised in the heart of Philadelphia, the men were clad in French-inspired Zouab uniforms and came from Irish immigrant, dock working, and fireman backgrounds. In December of 1862, they had found themselves in the opposite position that they were today as they charged up Mary's Heights and attacked defensive Confederate positions. While a Confederate bombardment rained down upon them, half of the Philadelphia Brigade sheltered behind a sloping crest, which offered them some protection from the incoming artillery. Across nearly a mile of field, rows of Confederate soldiers laid in wait. Among those soldiers were the 9th Virginia Infantry, today's 183rd Cavalry Virginia Army National Guard. Raised in Portsmouth, Virginia, the Portsmouth Rifles had a long and proud tradition dating back to the 1700s. Initially mustered in as the 3rd Virginia, the men of the Portsmouth Rifles were combined with other militia to form the 9th, and brigaded together with even more Virginia regiments under General Louis Armistead. The men of Armistead's brigade had earned their stripes at Seven Pines, Antietam, and Fredericksburg. They had arrived at Gettysburg on the evening of the 2nd and had been spared the first two days of carnage of the battle. As they stepped across the field on the 3rd and entered the fray, they felt the effects of Meade's prepared defenses. 
By the time the Confederates reached the Kadori farm on Emmitsburg Road, nearly half their numbers had fallen. The men of the 9th Virginia and Armistead's brigade continued their arduous push across the field. With their supporting elements, they headed for the angle, hoping to force a breakthrough in the Union lines, where several regiments of the Union Army were forward of the main line of resistance. As the angle descended into chaos, Union leaders took advantage of the situation and deployed units on their flanks. On the left of Union positions was the 1st Minnesota Infantry. Despite taking tremendous casualties on day two of the battle, the 1st Minnesota held a position along the main line on day three. When Confederate forces advanced across the field towards the angle, the 1st Minnesota and several other regiments stepped out from behind their protective cover and fired obliquely into the Confederate flank, tearing through their ranks as they canalized down on the Philadelphia Brigade. At the angle, the ferocious fight continued. The Philadelphia Brigade's 69th Pennsylvania was locked in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the Virginians as their supporting artillery fired point-blank into the enemy ranks. As some of the gun crews went down, infantrymen took their place to keep the guns firing. Right as the Confederates crested the stone wall, with some encouragement from their officers, the reserve elements of the Philadelphia Brigade poured into the gap and fired volley after volley into the fray. Lee's attack on Cemetery Ridge was finally broken, and after vicious hand-to-hand -hand combat, they fell back to their previous positions. These monuments along Hancock Avenue serve as granite tributes to the volunteers of northern states who came to fight at the Battle of Gettysburg. Many of these regiments served far after July of 1863, and among them, you can find memorials to the Philadelphia Brigade who continues their service today as the 56th Striker Brigade of the Pennsylvania Army National Guard, or the 1st Minnesota who fought so valiantly on July 2nd and July 3rd, losing many of their men, who continue service today as the 135th Infantry of the Minnesota Army National Guard. The failure of the Confederate assault would signal a turn in the course of the war, and many consider it a crucial factor in Confederate defeat. As Confederate forces pulled back off the battlefield, they would return south, never again to launch a major campaign in the north. Meade's defensive planning allowed him to use his artillery batteries not just to suppress enemy artillery, but in direct support roles along his front line. His use of terrain allowed him to move his reinforcements concealed to support his line where needed. Meade's actions are what we would call in modern terminology an area defense and demonstrate that the lessons of the Battle of Gettysburg, even though 150 years old, still show some relevance on today's battlefield. As we look back at the combat actions of the American Civil War, we can learn a lot about the history of our units today. Organizations that once fought against each other on the battlefield now work side by side at home in their communities and serve abroad together in combat. The Army National Guard's 30th Armored Brigade Combat Team recently returned from deployment to the Middle East. On that deployment with the 30th was the 145th Armor Regiment of the Ohio Army National Guard, who fought here at Gettysburg as the 7th Ohio Infantry. And also in the 30th was the 1st Battalion 120th Infantry of the North Carolina Army National Guard, who fought here on the battlefield as the 11th North Carolina Infantry. Take an interest in your unit. Find out where they served, what battles they were in, wins and losses. If we do not study the past, we cannot learn from it.